<laughs> well, it's funny how God brings you to moments like this. Um, I was saved some 25 years ago. Uh, and when I look back at all that time, I can see times where God has chosen to grow me, to use me, even to stretch me, sometimes uncomfortably. Uh, trust me when I tell you that this feels like one of those stretching uncomfortably times. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of public speaking, although over the years I've gotten the opportunity to get a little better at it, uh, at work, youth group, um, even at the Market Street Mission uh, Christmas dinner a couple of years ago for Hope. Uh, but as I stand here today, I am reminded of the only other time that I have ever brought a message on a Sunday morning. Um, I'd probably been saved for no more than about two years. Uh, I was attending and serving at a very small church here in Randolph of maybe 25 to 30 people. Uh, the pastor and his family decided to go on vacation for three weeks, and so the pastor gets it in his mind that he's going to bring in a guest speaker, and he's going to have myself and another deacon preach for those three weeks. And he decides that we're going to preach on Titus chapters 1, 2, and 3 in that order. And the guest speaker that he brings in for Titus 1 is a guy by the name of C. Gordon Olson. I uh, don't know if any of you know Gordon. Um, he's since gone to glory. Um, wonderful and warm man. Became a good friend. Even got to attend church with him a few times. Uh, this guy was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I kid you not, literally a doctor of theology. This guy writes books. He wrote a book called you know, Getting the Gospel Right, A Balanced View of Salvation. Um, I mean, who writes stuff like that? You know, this guy actually translated his own version of the New Testament. Um, just to give you an idea of his capabilities, this man had no problem preaching on a Sunday morning. Uh, then here I come the next week, uh, bringing a message on Titus 2. And Jeff reached out to me this morning. He's like, oh, do you want to preach from up here from this microphone? Or would you like to preach down here? And I'm thinking, you know, 23 years ago, those few steps up to the podium were like the longest steps that I ever took in my life. My mouth was so dry, I, I kid you not, it was probably a minute, it felt like five minutes that I couldn't even get a sound out of my mouth. Um, so between that and my spiritual immaturity at that time, let's just say that it was bad. Um, it, was, it was really bad. Um, but here we are today, and on the upside, at least for me, there's really nowhere to go from the preaching standpoint but up, and uh, you guys are already ahead of the guinea pig crowd from all those years ago. Uh, but why don't we take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you for Jesus and what you have done for us through him on the cross and the great salvation that you give to us. Uh, Father, we invite your Holy Spirit uh, into this house today uh, to touch us, to open our minds, to open our ears. Uh, help us to hear what you would have to say to us today. Holy Spirit, help us to shut out the world outside that we could focus on you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Um, so unlike my last Sunday morning opportunity, uh, Pastor Jeff did not give me uh, a specific passage to preach from today. Uh, in fact, as he mentioned before, he and Tyler had actually come to the elders before and asked if we would be, any of us would be willing to uh, fill the pulpit on a given Sunday. So way back in January, they send out this you know, Excel spreadsheet, and they want some of those elders who had volunteered to offer up what passage they would preach on. 
So at that time, I said, okay, I'll preach from Second Peter. Uh, who knew that nine months later they would think that, uh, without even asking, that I'd still be preaching from that today. Uh, because we're not. So whatever's in your bulletin right now that says I'm going to be preaching from Second Peter, uh, that's not correct. Um, but what's in your bulletin right now, you hang on to that because by God's spirit, we actually are going to get around to that passage today. Um, so setting that hiccup aside, you know, and starting from scratch and considering what, what will I preach from, um, from all that the Bible has to offer. And I guess it's natural to go with something that, uh, you know, would be one of your favorites. Uh, I'm not a huge one and a fan of picking favorites, but if you pushed me on it, I'd have to say probably my favorite book in the Bible is Philippians. Um, and within that, you know, it's a book that's written by the Apostle Paul, and within that book, uh, probably my favorite chapter would be chapter 2. Um, specifically, I want us to look at uh, verses 12 through 16a this morning, which, not coincidentally, was the passage that uh, Jeff offered this morning uh, for this morning's scripture, uh, and because that happened to be my secondary passage back in January. Um, so it's all good. You guys can turn to that and you can follow along there. Uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 16a follows a classic passage um, in verses 1 through 11 on Christian humility and really on Christ's humility as he humbled himself by leaving heaven's glory, setting aside all of his prerogatives as God to come to this earth and assume the form of human, a human being. Okay? What verse 7 calls a servant what some translations call becoming a slave. And by being so obedient to his father's will that he actually sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary to take the punishment that is due the whole world for its sin. To take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Verse 9 says, For that reason God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things of heaven and in the earth, and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul then follows that dramatic passage with verses 12 through 16a, which he describes in part what our response should be to what Jesus has done for us, how we should work out what God has worked in. So I would encourage all of you to listen to God's word as I read the passage again, for Paul is speaking to each of us directly here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Excuse me one second. Still having a dry mouth issue. There's a lot of references to work in that passage. So what is work? For many of us, work is the job that we go to or the chores that we have to do around our homes. For the students who are here, yeah, you guys get up and go to school, that often feels like work. Right? You guys come home and you have to do homework. Right? 
Some of us like to work, you know, like to consider exercise as working out. Right? You know, we do that to get stronger and maybe to ward off the effects of aging. Uh, but a lot of work has kind of a negative feel to it. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I work in a mind-numbing job. It feels like a chaotic whirlwind from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. It is, it is exhausting. Um, and then there's still things to be, you know, to be done after I finish that round of work. You know, and I know me. I'm one of those who tend to think that uh, you know, if I can just do that one more thing, you know, I can get some rest. You know? But the trap of that is I end up feeling like the gerbil on the cage, right? And I just keep running and running and running, you know, thinking that if I can just spin that wheel fast enough or just a few more times, I'll be able to get off. Um, you know, but the truth is I rarely get off that wheel. You know, I was out with the Lutzes uh, a week or so ago, and uh, Parker looked at me. You know, she's pretty perceptive. She looked at me and she says, aren't you tired? Yeah. And I mean, I have felt tired since about 1988. So uh, yeah, the, an the answer is yes. Um, and if I was honest, but there's a part of me that really hates what we typically consider work. You know, I often find myself working hard in an effort to create time where I don't have to work. Um, but that's not how work works in God's economy. Um, I'd like to us to take a look at how work sh should and does operate in God's sphere of influence as we see in Philippians 2. If we look at verse 12, it says that we are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've always understood there's nothing I can do to work for my salvation. That's the sovereign work of God. It's like the song, right? Jesus did it all, all to him I owe. So what is Paul talking about? He's not talking about working for our salvation. He is talking about working out our salvation. So what does working out our salvation look like? Uh, the Bible is actually filled with examples and guidance. One is found right in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. So a child of God is one who doesn't grumble who doesn't engage, engage in disputes. So if I can just do that, for my part, I really don't. Uh, but if I could, I can be without blame, without blemish, and I can be innocent in God's eyes. Well, there you go. There's something else I need to work on. Uh, but I think God provides us a still more comprehensive answer to that question uh, in Peter chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2. Or, scratch that. Peter's second letter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, uh, which reads as follows. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, and hear this part, you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption of the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, uh, your virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me repeat that list of qualities again. We're to supplement our faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So it's really all about love. All of those other qualities flow from love. Treating others the way that we would want to be treated. Demonstrating love to everyone who we meet, recognizing that Christ made them. He loves them. He died to save them, whether they know him and love him or not. Working at our salvation means exhibiting the love of Christ to everyone around us. Well, that sounds like a tall order. But fortunately, no believer is alone in this. Verse 13 of Philippians 2 reads, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's the word work again. But here we see that it's not about our work, it's God whose work is worked through us. Okay? Not with grumbling or disputing, but with fear and trembling. Matthew Henry suggests that fear and trembling actually means with great care and circumspection. And he, he offers a few other thoughts on this passage where he says that all of our working depends upon his working in us. That service to our master is freedom. Okay? That we are to learn our work, to mind our work, not to fight with it. Because his work is its own reward. What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now on earth, uh, a yoke is a device that, uh, it's like a straight bar that uh, goes across the neck of two animals and fastens them together, so uh, that also gets attached to a plow or to a cart, and so that the animals can share the burden of pulling that thing. Um... So a yoke is an instrument of work. But Jesus says that he has a yoke and he invites us to take it. But if a yoke is to be shared by two and I take it upon myself, who's sharing the other side? Well, it should be obvious. It's Jesus' yoke, right? He shares the burden with us and that makes the burden easy and light. God's work means living in his will And thus we are able to be pleasing to him. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Lastly, I want to look at verses uh, 15 and 16, where it says that we are to shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. And I'd like to unpack that in a couple of ways. Um, First, we are to shine as lights in the world. Light is appealing to everyone. Um, and I think in so many ways. Is anybody here like a fire? Okay. Are they mesmerizing? Okay. To watch the ever-changing reds and oranges and yellows and the flickering of the flames? They draw people. Um, it was a season when Eileen and I, you know, we would take our kids up to a cabin near a lake in the Adirondacks. 
and there were other cabins and other families that would, that would also come on that week. Um, and many of us used to come in the same week. We got to know those families over the course of a couple of years. Um, and mostly every family would disperse during the day and go out and do their own thing. You know, some would climb mountains or go boating and fishing, and some, some would go to the golf course. But every evening, someone would go down by the lake where there was a stone fire pit and build a fire. Um, and once the fire was lit one by one, the families would all come down and gather, share their stories about the day, sit around and watch the light. Um, and on a related note, it was also mid-August when we used to go up there, and it's the time of the Perseid meteor shower. So on a, on a particularly clear night, all those same families, rather than sitting around the fire, we'd take our chairs, we'd sit down by the lake, everyone would lean back and look up, and the Milky Way would be strewn above you, and the shooting stars would be blazing across the sky. Um, truly amazing. Now, most of those families were not Christians, uh, but nevertheless, they were drawn to the majesty of God's creation. You know, there's a similar attraction to the sunrise and the sunset. Where are the Kims? I think the Kims, you guys, you guys just went to Maine recently, right? And correct me if I got it wrong, there's an island you guys went to, Monhegan Island, is that how it's pronounced? And I think on Monhegan Island, there's a, there's a small mountain there, and it's about 10 miles off the coast of Maine, so you're out in the, you know, the middle of the Atlantic, and people like to go up on the top of the mountain to watch the sunrise come up over the Atlantic Ocean, and you guys tried to go, okay, I guess it's limited access up there, they couldn't even get tickets to go up and see the sunrise, it was so popular to go see. Okay. They did manage to get up and, and, uh, that evening and, and get to see the sun set, and even then it was, it was crowded, I would assume. Um, yeah, everyone was drawn to see the light. Right. One last example, which Eileen and I just experienced, and maybe the hunters and anyone else who's been to Cape May uh, you know, has, has also seen. The furthest point south in Cape May is a place called Cape May Point, and next to that uh, is a beach called Sunset Beach. And so on a clear night, hundreds of people will gather on Sunset Beach, you know, in order to watch the sun go down over the, uh, the sunken concrete ship that is there. Um, it's very beautiful to see. Eileen and I have seen it many times. Um, and I'm sure most of the people that we've seen over the years that we've gone have changed. It's not always the same folks. But one thing I've noticed happens every time. As the last, you know, part of the disk of the sun goes down below the ocean, everyone breaks out in spontaneous applause. And I often sit there and wonder, you know, what are they all applauding? You know? I mean, I mean you have to question whether, whether you know, many of these people are Christians or not, but aren't they instinctively applauding God's creation, whether they recognize him or not? In every case, every, people are being drawn to the light. And Paul says that we... God's children are to shine as lights in the world. We are to be attractive to those around us as the beauty of God's light is shining through us as we are working out our salvation. Now, verse 16 says that we are to hold fast to the word of life. Holding something fast has the image that we, of, of being solidly secure, you know, like a boat that is safely moored in a harbor. Uh, and that's how God's word is for us safely secured in our hearts, never to be lost, never to abandon us, uh, giving us the anchor for our lives. But I also love the imagery of this verse that comes from the King James Version, which says that we are to hold forth the word of life. 
And to me, that gives the imagery of, of us openly sharing, you know, like hands extended that are holding out the light of God's message for other people to see and to freely take. Um, Eileen and I ran a, a kid's puppet troupe for a number of years that was called the Puppet Kids. Sometimes we also called it the Shining Light Puppet Troupe uh, because Eileen had chosen Philippians 2.15 uh, to be sort of the core verse for that group. And Eileen would always teach the kids, um, you know, that we're not just having fun with puppets, although really we were. Um, uh, but our real purpose, you know, as we perform for people in churches and nursing homes and even at the Ledgewood Mall, you know, was to hold forth the word of God and the light of God's word to people who don't know him. So to me, the two images uh, go hand in hand, you know, holding fast and holding forth, you know, securely holding and openly sharing something that's a, that is attractive and drawing to all people. And perhaps I'll leave you with one last reference from the, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, which read, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the, wor in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So remember, God is at work in each of us, helping us to work out our salvation as we hold fast and hold forth the word of life. I would encourage each of you to read and even reread Philippians 2, and not just 12 through 16a, but really verses 1 through 11. It sums up the whole of the gospel right there. But for us, it's all about working out what God works in to the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's close. Stop. No. no. If, if you're going to applaud, you applaud him. You don't applaud me. Ever. Let's close in prayer, please.